Eventually, I was like, well, here's an even better way to do it than the ways that I've been learning from others. And I kind of created my own process, the rapid close method. So the rapid close method is uh, built on Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kim Barra Show. I am your host, Kim Barra. Today, we are joined by Mitch Sapoff. Now, he is the founder of the Rapid Close Method. If you ever wanted to close more deals, recruit more people, make more change in your business, this is the episode you want to listen to. If you need help marketing to so that these salespeople have something to do, just visit our free Facebook community, www.joinmygroup.com.au. We have weekly trainings, all fun stuff for you to help you grow your marketing. But until then, let's jump into the show. Mitch, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you making the time. For sure, man. Happy to be here. Great to have you, Ed. Now, I always like to ask the same question every podcast to kick things off, which is, if I met you at a party and you and I were chatting and I said, Mitch, what is it that you actually do? What's your go-to answer? Yeah, man. So I've been switching it up a lot lately, right? Um, always thinking of the most optimal way to answer that. Um, but honestly, if I'm going off the top of my head, man, I would say, I help business owners get off of the phones and I put salespeople onto them. That's it. And like, you, but you've got a, like a really unique approach in the way that you do it. And because I think it's, it's interesting now that the sales field, and I've seen guys come and kind of skyrocket up in the, the world of world of sales. And there's like people that used to be marketing experts, then became sales experts. And now there's so many convoluted, but like messy messages in the, in the space. What yeah. sets you guys apart with what you do versus obviously what you kind of see from a generic standpoint with all these sales trainers out there? Yeah, man, absolutely. So um, there's a lot of sales trainings that try to sell people on, hey, you know, like you get into inbound closing, you could make 30K a month, right? Like all this stuff. And while it is definitely possible, right? And there's plenty of people that do make that kind of money. I think what these companies don't put out to the forefront of it is like just by watching the videos that's in the program that these companies sell, you're not automatically going to be making 30K per month as a closer, right? Like that's a process. You need to have the right skills. You need to have the right network. And uh, that's honestly what a lot of these programs are missing because they don't give the personalized attention to develop the skills and they don't actually give the direct connections to that network once you attain those skills. Because it is hard. Like I've seen, obviously, see people come through that sales trained and then I yeah. hear them and I, I get them to do, you know, like a, a course for us. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm, 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 uh, I'm a closer now. Like I'm ready to close like six and seven figures. Like I'm, I mean, I'm like, uh, mate, like I don't even know if, like I wouldn't even answer a phone call from you. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> it's interesting. And it's like, cause a lot of people, like obviously for me being running a marketing agency, like they, they probably don't necessarily know this. It's like, now I've been obviously doing sales myself for eight years. Like I've done some like, nearly every sales training out there and, and uh, intensely done it to upskill myself so I can learn these things. So it's hugely surprising. But the second part you said there is, is quite important because, and if you have the skills, it's like finding a place where you can make that sort of money is pretty hard, right? Like not necessarily every business, are you going to be able to make 10, 20, 30K a month? Like what are the sorts of businesses that can provide that for these salespeople? Yeah, man. So it's pretty simple. The kinds of businesses that can provide that are the ones that already have salespeople that are making that kind of money, right? And it sounds super simple, but some people just don't don't put two and two together. So it's like, specifically, I'm focusing in on the coaching, consulting, and agency space as you know, many people are now focusing in on. But 
it makes sense, right? It's hot. There's obviously so many people that are investing into alternative education, coaching programs, and then, you know, services to then boost their businesses, right? Like in the agencies. So it's a very lucrative space, obviously, but the types of businesses that are more likely to have salespeople earning that kind of money, um, first and foremost, the business itself has to be making um, at least seven figures a year, if not eight figures a year. Um, and then the other side of it is like, they got to be selling something that uh, has a massive ROI, whether that's a money ROI, a time ROI, a happiness ROI, right? Essentially something that gets insane results for their clients. And now, but you have to ask, because I'm assuming that when you were a little kid, you weren't like riding around on a tricycle being like, I'm going to be a sales trainer when I grow up. Like, what was uh, what was the kind of progression for you? Because uh, I've I've had some great um, sales traders and coaches on the podcast, and it's always just in- interesting hearing like their origin stories. Tell us a little bit about it for yourself. Yeah, man. So from the ages of three to thirteen, I was a professional singer. So I would like, yeah, yeah. So I would perform on stage, uh, you know, pretty much across the world, and I was really good at it, right? And then. You know, when you're like 13, you hit puberty, your voice starts changing and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I still had the chops for it, but um, I more so got into like, you know, things where you're more so using your like head for things versus your throat, right? Like to put it simply. And then I thought I wanted to go into finance. So that's what I studied uh, my first year of college. Absolutely hated it. And that's when I kind of, you know, got into entrepreneurship, started a digital agency with a buddy of mine that I had met in high school. I ran sales and marketing there without really even knowing what sales and marketing was at the time, just kind of winging it. And um, yeah, just through um, trial and error, right? Lots of trial, lots, lots of error. Eventually we figured things out. I realized I was, you know, starting to get the hang of it, started to read some sales books, take some sales courses, programs, work with some mentors. And then eventually I was like, well, here's an even better way to do it than the ways that I've been learning from others. And I kind of created my own process, the rapid close method. That's how uh, we got here today. Nice. And and break, like if you can, share a little bit about your method because it is unique. It is a uh, slightly different approach to what most people would probably do. Like you and I uh, were chatting about this before we jumped on and I mean, I think it would be valuable for the guys to hear. Yeah, absolutely. So the rapid close method is uh, built on building on what the prospect last said, right? So instead of just following a path of questions that is like, you know, like scripted out for you, of course, you're going to be hitting on those questions anyways, but you want to let the prospect's answers to your questions dictate the next question that you're going to ask using things like active listening, mirroring, label, paraphrase, et cetera, right? To really make the prospect feel heard, trusted. And instead of making it feel like a interrogation, right? It's more of a conversation and the prospect is happy to open up in that way. Also lots of devil's advocacy, right? Like really using reverse sales, not as a tactic, but as genuine questioning to find out why it doesn't make sense for the prospect to stay where they are or to do an alternate option and why it makes sense for them to work with you, right? So that's what that's what discovery looks like with the rapid close method. Then with the pitch, we want to keep it super short, super sweet, tie in what they said directly to what the program or product that you're selling actually 
looks like and does. And the secret sauce, secret sauce, is with the objection handling. We use a framework. It's called the DDNI framework. I came up with it myself. If you're in my program, you'll find out what that acronym stands for, right? Or maybe one day I'll sacrifice it for free. But uh, basically, this is the best sequence to get the prospect to forfeit their reasons for why they don't want to do this, tell you a scenario in which they would end up doing this. And basically, you're having the prospect tell you how they want to be closed. And you're able to use what they say, you give your way in, and that's how you ultimately get the sale in there. I love it. And you obviously also have, I'm chatting about this earlier also, you have a slightly different approach because obviously some people, they'll bring people in, they'll educate them, they'll give them some frameworks, they'll give them some scripts, and they chuck yep. them on the phones. Like, yep. You're a, yeah. you're a seller and closer now, like be free, like yeah. go go make money. But obviously you you have a slightly different approach to do that. Like, do you want to share a little bit about what you're looking at from that perspective as well? Yeah, absolutely, man. So um, it is by no means the case that you absolutely have to be a setter before you're a closer, but it just depends, right? It depends on what you're on, on what baseline you're coming in with, what your natural sales chops are, right? Um, so like as an example, let's say that someone is coming into my program and they are already a closer. They just want to get better at closing and they want to get placed on a gate. More likely than not, we're not going to put them into a setter position once they finish the program because they've already had sales experience, right? But there are some complete newbies that just have natural sales chops and learn really fast and sound really good that they go through my program and they don't have to be setters before they can be closers, right? And the businesses that I place them with, they trust me that I'm not going to give them someone that's going to be a scrub. So they know that as long as someone's actually went through my program, right? They've done the role plays, they've done the reps, then they can trust them on the phones. Now, in some cases, someone is not ready to be a closer right away and that's okay, right? Someone will want to make make some money before they actually dial in every part of the program and before they sound perfect on the phone. So in that case, we do put them on as a setter, right? And they get to choose between being a phone setter, um, a, um, a DM setter, right? And then through DM setting, there's outbound DM setting, inbound DM setting, right? Two completely different things. Through phone setting, you could do outbound dialing or you could do inbound triage. So they have a lot of options and whatever they choose, there's a different... Uh, set of trainings that they have to complete in order to get there. But the beauty is that that will actually give them the reps that they need while they train up closing to then really easily transition into closing if that's the path that they take. Because yeah, it is it is hard and it is nerve wracking, I think, for some people where they come in and even though they might think that they want to be a closer because they've heard of all the money that can be made and all the commissions that they can bring in, it's um it's it's not not easy no uh, and and you definitely needed to get those reps and i always tell people a story like at one point in time i went to um one of my first sales mentors used to run a program his name's oliver giles the fourth the sales warlord was his nickname and um he used to run a program called residential where you go and you get basically locked in a house for nine days and for seven of those nine days so the weekend days were kind of prep and then like monday through friday on the phones yeah hours of the day all locked in the house, all like seven figure entrepreneurs locked in the house together. And people go like, oh, how did you be like, you're a marketing guy. And like, obviously I had to do my own sales, but like, how did you then get good at that? I was like, in one week I did 64 hours of sales calls. But like, and I got like, I think we ended up with about 
45, 50K cash received, 690K in sales, like contract value. Um, it was a big week, but I was like, that week gave me those repetitions. Before that, I thought I was okay. After that, I was like, oh, like I can, I'm starting to see how all the pieces work together. So even someone who'd already at that point been doing sales for myself three or four years, like I needed that intense, like learning period to actually really get good. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's like the best way to get good at something is to just do it over and over and over again. But how do you know whether you're on the right track or not? Right? So that is where audits come in, right? So it's like in the program, you have your mock calls or you have your live calls, right? Like depending on if you're already on a gig or not, you bring those to my coaching calls and you get ripped apart, right? In front of other members of the program as well. And we have other members of the program participating in those call audits when they know what was wrong and what and what needs to be dialed in, right? So you're, so you're getting feedback from not just me, but other members of the program, right? And the other members of the program get to learn by teaching, right? So it's very much a collaborative environment where everyone gets to put their coach's hat on because you won't believe how much better I've gotten at sales since I became a sales coach. It's insane, right? So that's very much the you know ideology that we preach here. And then once you know that you're on the right track, then yeah, it's really about reps. The people that do the best in my program are the ones that do the most mock calls, once they're on a gig, they do the most live calls, right? And uh, yeah, that's how they see success there. And what do you think, like for people listening, obviously they've had probably been bombarded with ads of people like selling yeah. this whole setter and closer lifestyle and, and and income levels and things like that. What, like to, to temper people's expectations as a setter, like what do you think is like a worst case starting point that people would be in and then as a closer the same? Because I think it's so easy for people to get like lost in the glitz and glam or what they think they're going to get. But like, yeah. what do you see? Because you work with so many different people. Sure. As a setter, your worst case scenario is you m- don't make any money, right? Because if you if you get placed, uh, no, not if you get placed, but let's say that you, you don't do my program, right? And you try to break into the space by yourself or perhaps through a different program that is not delivering on what they promised. You'll end up getting onto a gig where they might not even be paying you a base and they might just be having you there to like test out their new script or test out their new outbound strategy or something like that. And there's no proof that you can make money and you don't end up making money. And then the business like ends up blaming it on you when they didn't have the systems. But let's say, let's say that you are partnered with a business that has validated your process already as a setter. When that's the case, if you show up and you hold up your end of the bargain, you can make three to five K a month, um, pretty, pretty consistently, pretty reasonably. If you're really good and you hustle really hard, you can make five to 10 K a month. I know some setters that make more than 10 K a month. They live, breathe and die setting. And even like they, they've been doing setting for 10 years and they're super happy staying there and not at closing because they prefer, right? To just throw alley-oops to closers and they make a killing off of it. And if that's, you know, the personality that you have and what you want to do, amazing. The world needs more great setters, right? On the closing side of things, uh, once again, if you're partnered with the wrong company, you will literally make zero dollars, right? Like, um, they're not going to have good leads for you. You're going to be wasting your time on the phones and it's not going to be a good setup. They're going to blame it on you. If you're partnered with a company that's, that actually has a proven, proven process, depending on how many leads they can give you, um, on the low end, 
you can make 5k a month um part-time right on the high end uh you can make 30k a month 40k a month i'm i'm uh you know i'm doing recruiting for a company right now their top rep makes 45k a month so it's doable it happens right um and it's realistic as long as you put in the work you get paired with the right company you have consistent lead flow you're putting you know blood sweat and tears into it so for sure yeah and i think as you said that's that is the most important thing and that's the thing that i see is that a lot of times people look at bringing on salespeople to solve like a business problem or to solve a marketing problem and it's like that's like you can see why it's not going to work i love talking about this man uh i'm so glad you brought this up and if i'm rambling stop me but salespeople are not your saviors right like if you're if your business is broken the salesperson that you bring in is going to break it even more right Salespeople are meant to amplify what's already working and what you're already doing. If you want to bring in someone to test a new outbound DM campaign or a new outbound dialing campaign or to, you know, take some calls with new leads from like an ad campaign that you're running, you should pay them for their time to run this experiment for you and not with commission because it's not proven and not validated, right? Um, it's only appropriate to bring in salespeople once you have validated at least one part of the sales process, right? So you validate that you're able to set appointments, cool, you bring in a setter. You validate you're able to close deals, you bring in a closer. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And I'm glad you have that approach because it is like, and obviously is why I suppose some people when they're, they're hungry to bring in sales, you know, they'll just be like, look, I just, I just need this. And it's like, well, yeah, you haven't, you haven't made it work yet. And so there's so many times that we've had clients where they're like, oh, like we want to just like we need salespeople for this. I'm like, you like you haven't made a sale yet. Like how are we how are you going to bring in a bring in a salesperson? That doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's it's uh, it's awesome to have that approach as well. Yeah. And then like for, as you say, for those businesses, making sure they have one piece of the the sales pipeline down. Like, is there anything else that you would recommend? Being like, hey, here's a couple of things you need to have. Make sure you have in place before you look to bring those outbound um, or inbound setters. Before setters or before closers? Oh, both. Like, what Like, what, what? should a business really make sure if there's a couple of things that you'd be like, tick these boxes first before you even start to even try and think about worrying about that? Yeah. So I would recommend that the business owner themselves gets the business to, I don't know, at least like 10K a month, right? Like before, before bringing in setters. Because how much is 10K a month really, right? Like if you're selling a 2K package, that's like five deals, right? That's like one one deal a week, roughly, you know, give or take. If you're selling a five-quick package, that's like two deals a month. It's not that crazy. So if you can't bring that in, you're not ready for setters. Um, you should have work for the setters to do, right? So it's like, let's say that, you know, in order for you to close that 10K in business, you had to hit up, you know, 500 people. You should have a list of like 5,000 people for the setter to go through in one month. Because if, if a setter just sets, you know, 10 K worth of business, that's like 500 bucks in commission for the setter. That's not attractive. To them. But if they can set a hundred K worth of business for you, right. Then that's five K in commission. Let's say you're giving them like 5%, something like that. And we could talk about commission structures later, but then like all of a sudden that becomes attractive to them. So you should give them uh, a proven process, right? Um, SOPs that actually work. You should give them lists, right? 
uh, you know, so that they're not wasting their time on that kind of stuff that can be done by like a BA or something. Yeah, processes and and lists. That's pretty much all they need. Perfect. And then yeah, yeah. We, we may as well jump in. Like, what do you see as because everyone's like commission structure, base plus commission. This like, what, what yeah. like is there kind of like a rule of thumb that you kind of work off? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I mean, I could tell you how I compensate my setters and what what's working really well. So I give them a small base, right? Just to make sure that they're giving this their full focus and attention. Notice how I didn't say full time. I said full focus and attention. It's okay if they have other stuff going on as long as they're hitting their KPIs here, right? Um, so the base keeps them um, loyal, right? And the commission keeps keeps them hungry, right? So I do a small base um, around $2,000 a month. And with the inbound setters that I have right now that are, that are doing DMs, um, I give them 5% commission of all the deals uh, that they themselves bring in, plus a 15% bonus. The 15% bonus is 15% of the commission that they made from the deals that they brought in. And it goes up to 15%, depending on performance, depending on you know the numbers that the company hit in that month. But I'm pretty generous. I, I treat my setters pretty well. So Because we mentioned we were chatting before as well, where it's like some people are like with uh, setters and closures, they're like, Turn and burn. They're just like they try and line them up, but you obviously like to try and build relationship with, them, build their loyalty so that they're around. So you're not every month. You're not like, well, need another five setters and two closes this month because uh, uh, we're <laughs> rotating through. <laughs> yeah, man. the The trickiest part, honestly, is like setters. Most setters don't want to be setters forever, right? Most setters want to level up into closers, and you kind of have to tell the setter like, hey, like if you do well, this is your opportunity to move up to closer. But honestly, as a business owner, if your setter does well, you want them to stay a setter because they're doing so well and they're bringing you so much business, right? So that is definitely a very tricky part of like managing and recruiting setters. But ideally, you make the work fun enough for them where they're down to start out as a setter and then they level up into like a senior setter, right? And get more flexible hours, better leads, like that kind of stuff, right? Then you level them up into, um, you know, like a DM lead, right? Or like a dialing lead where they're like, you know, running a team under them and that kind of thing. So there is room for ascension, even, you know, for like the setter, you know, ladder. But aside from that, as long as you could have your great setters, let's say they want to move into closing and they're actually ready, as long as you can have them, you know, kind of train up the new setters that you have coming in, and you're always kind of running that sort of process, then that's the best way to set yourself up for, for success. And now, Mitch, I could probably chat to you about sales all day, but I like to make sure I stay on point with my timing here. Um, so I'd like to ask this question as we get towards the end of our time together, which is, is there any questions which I haven't asked you that I should have? Maybe maybe about closers, right? Because we, we've spoken a lot about setters, right? But not a whole ton about closures. So, what what questions do you have for me regarding closers and how to get the best out of them? Like, what? Uh, all right. So, a question then. Let's say someone's recruited a good closer, they got them on, but then they hit a slump. Like, how do you handle like slump management? Oh, slump management with closures. Yeah, for sure. So, I have my closers uh, record looms of themselves when they're feeling really good. Right. So when they're on a hot street, I, I have them record looms and like, not just looms, but also like general. So exactly how they're feeling internally. 
And when they're having a slump, I have them listen to their call recordings from the slump, but then also listen to their call recordings from the hot streak and also watch the loops and, and read the journal and try to regain some of that energy and build some of that momentum to get back into, uh, you know, at least equilibrium. So, because it, it really is a, at that point, it's like a mindset thing, right? I think for- oh, of course, of course. Because it's like, you'll have like a string of like bad leads that then like discourages you. And then you start performing badly. And then you start assuming that every lead is a bad lead that you don't even try your hardest, right? So how do we break that cycle? We got to get back into the psyche that we were at when we were out of street. So. Nice. Yeah. And so, Mitch, if people have been listening to this and they want to find out maybe more about how they can be become a setter or closer or if, how to get them, Where's the best place for them to connect with you online? Yeah, man, for sure. So we're going to go at Rapid Closer on Instagram, R-A-P-I-D-C-L-O-S-E-R, at Rapid Closer on Instagram. And we're also going to add me on Facebook, uh, Mitch Sapoff on Facebook, Mitch, S-A-P-O-F-F, or you can always email me, Mitch, at RapidCloseMethod.com. Perfect. I love that. So... Guys, if you know if you know someone who's looking for sales support, or maybe who wants to get into the sales industry, please share this episode with them so that they can get some of Mitch's wisdom into their ears. Mitch, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you making the time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Talk to you soon.